Hey guys, what's up? This is Jacques. Welcome back to Unpopular. I have some good news and some semi-bad news for you today. So the good news is that I interviewed Kelly Dodd. If you follow me on Patreon, you would have known that last week. Uh, That interview had been in the works for like a year. Kelly and I just could not align our schedules at all. You know, she lives a fast life, okay? She's jet-setting all over the place. She's at parties, you know, one minute she's on a boat, you know, in fucking Mexico somewhere. The next, she's, you know, doing this, she's doing that. She's always traveling. So it's really hard to pin her down. And we finally locked it down and then everything went well. And the interview is like, you know, it's all the things you would expect from a Kelly Dodd interview. Okay. I'll put it like that. It's exactly what you would expect from a Kelly Dodd interview. So it's good. Uh, And then I listened back to it. I was editing it before and the tracks are completely out of alignment, okay? So it's kind of like at one point in the interview, it sounds like we're talking over each other, which we're not, and I'm not sure how to fix it. So it is being professionally fixed because it's salvageable. We have whatever. I'm not going to go into the the technical stuff of like audio editing. That's so boring. What I'm saying to you is that it is salvageable. It will be fixed. Uh, My network is, you know, working on it. They can't fix it. Someone will be able to fix it because it's fine. So there's that. And the reason that this happened, which usually this doesn't happen when I record, usually my biggest fear is Wi-Fi issues because they have stupid Australian Wi-Fi. We have like the worst Wi-Fi in the world here. Anyway, that's not what the problem was. So what happened is Kelly and I had locked in the interview for Sunday. And a lot of that reason was actually you guys, and I don't tell anyone to do this. You guys just go and do it. You all message, you all message Kelly Dodd and you all message Heather McDonald telling them, you know, come on unpopular, come on unpopular. And, you know, Kelly and I had been trying to work it out for a long time. We couldn't align the schedules, but she's been wanting to do it since like back in the day. And you guys know that I'm really anal about these interviews. So I send through instructions. I'm like, you know, please, you know, do it on your computer. Please have headphones for the audio quality, et cetera, et cetera. Sending all these instructions. Well, of course, on the day of the interview, I'm like, oh, are you on your phone? And she's like, yeah, I'm about to throw a barbecue. Sorry, I didn't, you know, didn't mean to do this on your day. But, you know, some friends asked me to have a barbecue. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I was like, well, it's very Kelly Dodd. Of course, she's like throwing a last minute barbecue with all of her OC friends, you know, nothing against that. So it was all good. Um, So we we start recording the interview and then within like two minutes, right? I said to her, Hey girl, like, let's just say that you were right about the damn masks and about a lot of this other shit. And you got hated for it so much. And you were right about it all. And then she, cause she's on her phone. She goes, Oh, I want to like read you something. And she flips over into her DMS. And she basically for about five minutes, reads me a back and forth that she had with someone about like COVID vaccines. Now, what what happened? I was going to edit that out, by the way, not because I was like worried about putting her, you know, the vaccine views. I don't, couldn't give a shit about that. I just didn't want to open our interview with like, you know, five plus minutes of just straight COVID stuff. You know, I wanted to get into like the juice about the show and, you know, drama and like just lots of topics. Okay. I didn't really, because it was a whole back and forth about, well, like, well, Biden has the, has COVID now and he's been vaccinated this many times and Damascus work. And it was like all of that, you know, the, the typical like COVID arguments that we all have. And when she flipped over to like, read me out that, because she shut like the window that we were recording on, like it didn't record, like it didn't record any of that part that she said about it, which I was going to edit out anyway. And then she popped back in. So basically that completely misaligned the tracks. So I'm trying to get it together. That's a very um, Kelly Dodd reason for the interview <laughs> to like not be in alignment, but it's being fixed. Um, 
and you guys will like it. It'll be worth the wait. I've, the amount of messages that I've had about having Kelly Dot on the podcast is like, it might be the most messages I've ever had about anyone coming on the podcast. And actually on Twitter, when I teased it on Twitter, people were being a little bit shady. I'm going to give that episode a miss. No, thank you. Because it's like all those like weird woke like housewives freaks on Twitter. But uh, on Instagram where everyone's actually really nice to me and I don't really get trolled or anything, I only go through hell on Twitter. Everyone on Instagram is cool. The amount of fucking messages I've been getting on Instagram about Kelly Dodd, people are like beside themselves. Like, oh my God, I can't wait. Kelly Dodd. Like people are really hyped for it. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to get it to you by, you know, this week, the next few days. Okay. Um, And yeah, when I was getting ready to edit it, I was already like getting hyped up from my end of like getting trolled. Cause like Kelly Dodd really does bring out these annoying fucking trolls. And I'm just thinking like, oh my God, you guys, you don't have to fucking listen to it. Okay. You don't have to listen to Kelly Dodd and myself talking about, what we're going to talk about, all right? There's plenty of fucking podcasts out there. For you. Like, every single podcast, Bravo podcast, basically, is either these fucking fake-ass lame opinions of just trying to, like, pander to, like, the Twitter crowd, or it's, like, three hours on microaggressions, okay? They're all like that. So, go and listen to one of those. You don't have to listen to me, but I was getting worked up for nothing because the Kelly Dodd interview isn't even out yet. But um, I do want to actually talk about one of these woke podcasts and it's it's no shade okay but there was a recent episode (laughs) that was getting me fired up the other day okay this isn't shade to carlos king okay because i love carlos king i actually had carlos king on this pod over a year ago and now he's like the hot favorite he's everywhere but i had him on back in the day love carlos king he's amazing he's got a podcast out now that i listen to from time to time because you know he has some good insights as a producer but He's had a few guests on lately. Oh, my God. And I'm just, they do my fucking head in. So, the first one he had on was, like, the co-host of the Ebony Williams podcast. You know, someone that hosts Ebony's podcast. And, look, enough said on that, okay? You can already imagine how that episode was. And then he had recently, I was listening to it in the bath, actually. And I'm like, I'm going to, like, drown. I'm going to stick my head under the water and drown myself in this bath. He had some Haitian actress on talking about Garcelle. She was trashing, you know, like Erica and Lisa Rinna. And then she was saying like, oh, I really want Garcelle to get angrier at these ladies and to like put them in their place. But, you know, she can't do that because they're going to stereotype her as the angry black woman. And she has the stereo, this stereotype weighing on her shoulders. So she can't speak up. You know, she has to be a wallflower. She can't be painted as angry. And, you know, I just wish she would. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, whatever show you're watching is not The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because you've invented a completely fake narrative, like this fantasy version of Garcelle and the show that doesn't exist. Okay. Garcelle is one of the most aggressive on that show. Now, first of all, when I say being aggressive, she's not aggressive like Teresa Judice or Brandy Glanville or something, but I'm just saying that on Beverly Hills, okay, their main thing on Beverly Hills is like psychological torture, all right? With the exception of Brandy Glanville, who's, you know, ratchet hot mess on there and throws wine on people and stuff. 
The rest of the people are more like about like mind games and things. And Garcelle is up there as one of the more confrontational. I'm not saying she's the most confrontational on the show, but if you ranked them all, she's certainly up there. I mean, I don't think she's ever said anything positive about anybody in her confessionals. Every confessional is shade. She's always throwing shade at people. I mean, the last episode I watched, she um, snapped at Kyle. Kyle said, oh, can we give Erica a break? And she's like, you give her a break. I don't have to. Something like that. She has no problem speaking her mind and stirring the pot and confronting people. I remember she fought with Dorit. Um, didn't she? She swore at Dorit or something, and then she was, like, storming off. And, okay, Garcelle is no shrinking violet. Garcelle handles herself very well. Um, and I feel like this is so... It's problematic to assume that she ha- that she wants to be this angry black woman, but she like can't because of society. Like, what do you- who do you think she is? Like, do you think she secretly wants to go love and hip hop on these people, or she wants to go Teresa Judice and start screaming and flipping tables, and or be like Lisa Rinna and like smash the wine glass? Like, do you think she wants to do that? She's a fifty five year old actress in Hollywood. She's pretty fucking classy, okay? She's a beautiful woman. She's classy. She's not, like, going to get hood. Like, I don't know what this fantasy is that people think that they're watching this going, oh, my God, you know, why won't you just punch Lisa Rinner in the face? Like, I don't think she's like that. I think she can handle herself. And the way that she's playing the game, the game of Housewives, okay, being on Housewives is like being on Survivor. She's winning at this shit because she's, like, one of the most popular cast members. People love her. Look, I think she's shady as hell, but she's like Lisa Vanderpump. Again, Lisa Vanderpump, manipulative as hell, fake as hell, shady as hell, but the masses fall for it. The stupid viewers fall for it, okay? They fell for it with LVP. They're falling for it with Garcelle now. So whatever the fuck Garcelle's doing is working, okay? She's very popular. She's getting deals thrown at her left and right, even though they all flop. I mean, she got the book deal. The book flopped. She joined the reel. It got cancelled. Now she has a HSN line of home decor. She has the worst taste I've ever seen, and they gave her a HSN line. That's how popular she is. So she's playing the game right. And it's like a weird infantilizing of like the women of color on these shows too, because, you know, to act like, again, you know, oh my God, why won't she get, why won't she get angry? She's scared of stereotypes. Like Garcelle's not fresh off the boat from Haiti. She's been in Hollywood for decades. She was married to the head of CAA who was white. She's navigated white spaces for decades. Again, very successfully made, you know, a huge career for herself. So it's so weird to kind of, Watch the show and that's your takeaway from it, that Garcelle is like some wallflower that is like too frightened to speak up when she's handling these girls just fine. She's the most popular cast member. Like, she's killing it. I mean, if anyone is scared to speak up, it's the other women who will get called racist if they argue with her because fucking Garcelle's always jabbing at them and throwing shade at them and they treat her with kid gloves compared to, like, some of the... Some of these women would, like, if with what Garcelle's done to them, they would go so hard if it was anybody else. But because it's Garcelle, they freak out. I mean, like, Lisa Rinna said it, oh, my God, on the Carlos King podcast, too. They said, um, I don't know if it was Carlos King said this or if it was the guest said this, but you know when Lisa Rinna 
put out the Instagram story and she said, you know, if we even speak up against Garcelle, the fans call us racist, which y'all do. All of you fans on Twitter, you loser fans. If anyone, like, raises their voice at Garcelle, oh, it's a, it's a microaggression, it's racism. Like, you guys, you can't handle it. Like, you literally, it's like you can't even handle a racially diverse cast. You say you want that and then you get it and then you actually can't cope with it. Like, it's too much for you mentally because you're so stupid. But they said something like, oh, yeah, Le- they said that Lisa Rinna posted that because Lisa Rinna is, like, scared that Garcelle is going to bring, like, all her black friends on the show and, like, turn Beverly Hills into Atlanta, which is – that is such a gross thing to put out there. Lisa Rinna is not afraid of that. Lisa Rinna does not have a problem working with people of colour. Anyone that's putting these narratives out here is mentally ill, and Garcelle can more than handle herself. Again, as evident by how fucking popular she is, and she's killing, and she's, like, the most popular fucking housewife now, and people love her. People love her and Sutton, and Sutton is the most unstable, unhinged, like, crazed housewife that we've seen since, like, I'm tr- who who was the last one that was as crazy as Sutton is? I can't even think of someone. She's just, like, so demented. So you know, whatever over this, this is actually, it's kind of similar to, um, I talked about this on Patreon last week, this situation with Kiki Palmer and Zendaya. Okay. So if you don't know who they are, I mean, most people know who they are. They're both actresses. Um, they were child stars. Zendaya is on euphoria. It's like the hottest show right now. Kiki Palmer has done a million different things. Okay. Kiki Palmer is dark skinned. Zendaya is light skinned. And someone started this like Twitter thread and, um, they were like, oh, you know, Kiki Palmer's movie went number one, but it's taken her so long to get her accolades because she's dark-skinned and, you know, compared to Zendaya, she's such a flop and Zendaya's like the biggest thing ever and, you know, Zendaya's had so much success all because she's light-skinned and, you know, because Kiki Palmer's dark-skinned, she hasn't been as successful or as popular and no one likes her or something. And they think they're doing, like, Kiki Palmer a favour. They think they're, like, highlighting some discrimination against Kiki Palmer with colorism. And Kiki Palmer responded to it and she's like, actually, I'm like incredibly successful. I was like the youngest person to ever host a talk show. I've got the number one movie in the country. You know, I've done this, I've done that. Like I'm very successful. And you know, what is like problematic is you reducing my accomplishments because of the color of my skin. It's like, bam, thank you. Please shut this person down. And I will say personally for me, I know Kiki Palmer much more than Zendaya. I can't speak for everyone else of who's more popular, but I'm definitely more familiar with Kiki Palmer's work than Zendaya. I don't watch Euphoria. I don't watch anything that Zendaya's ever done. And I've watched a lot of, like, Kiki Palmer because she's everywhere. Kiki Palmer's, like, booked and busy. Like, she's always doing something. So I'm, like, more knowledgeable of Kiki Palmer. So it was weird to me even seeing that Twitter thread to act like she's some flop compared to Zendaya. But that's what these people do. Like, they think they're being progressive. They think they're, like, sticking up for these minorities, but really they're just, like, infantilizing them and, like, reducing their accomplishments and, like, kind of being, like, low-key problematic and racist, you know, in a sense, like, diminishing Kiki Palmer's uh, accomplishments because of the color of her skin, assuming that Garcelle wants to act like some fucking Teresa Judice or Love and Hip Hop cast member or Bad Girls cast member when she's actually, like, a really classy, sophisticated, like, successful woman and you're going to put her in that box. Like, it's just, it's so gross. These people are disgusting. Um, Khalees first Beyonce, have you all seen this? So... 
Beyonce released her new album. I haven't listened to it. I don't care. The tweets are like so annoying. Like everyone feels like they have to broadcast that they've heard the Beyonce album or what their thoughts are. Just listen to it privately. Like listen to it quietly. Like no one cares what you think about the Beyonce album. She's like barely relevant now. But Khalees called her out because she sampled one of Khalees' songs, one of the songs that Khalees did with the Neptunes. Many years ago, Beyonce had it on one of her thing, on one of her songs, and Khalees was like, "Bitch, like you could have given me a heads up and called me out of courtesy and said, hey, you know, I'm using your song.' Look, I told you guys here. I did a Beyonce rant a few episodes ago. I can't remember which episode. A few episodes back, I went in on Beyonce. This is classic Beyonce. She's known for taking things from other artists, whether it's like songs and samples and you know, concepts and stuff. That's just what she does. And that's why she's so annoying because she markets herself as like, everyone else is manufactured and I'm a real artist. It's like, no, you just like, first of all, your music's no better or no worse. Actually, it's usually often worse than other people because you don't make the songs as catchy because you're like trying too hard to be like a real artist. And then it's just actually kind of boring. Like we just don't listen to your songs as much. But um, yeah, most of your stuff's like unoriginal and you think that you're this fucking groundbreaking like trendsetter. Like Khalees is the trendsetter, okay? Khalees is the groundbreaking one. I'm a day one Khalees fan from when I was like a kid when she first came out. Uh, I've heard all of her albums. I just love her. At one point, I think she was like probably Khalees at one point in my life was like my number one artist. Like I'm obsessed with her. Uh, look, and the thing with her and Beyonce, Beyonce probably wouldn't think to call Khalees because like in Beyonce's mind, Khalees wouldn't be on her level and she wouldn't think of it. She wouldn't think of like an artist doing a courtesy call like that because, you know, Beyonce's albums are like made in a lab with like boardrooms of people and like huge labels and stuff. And like there's so many cooks in the kitchen. Like Beyonce would put together her albums. I don't know if you know this. Uh, for some of her albums, she would have these writing camps where it was like camps of people would go out and they would rent out, you know, like a, a huge house. And then it was like people would go to different rooms writing different parts of songs. And then they would like Frankenstein the songs together. And it was like, you know, a fucking thousand people just to write, you know, like one verse of a Beyonce song. So that's how her songs are kind of put together. So, of course, she's not going to think in her mind, oh, yeah, let me personally call everyone whose song has been sampled, okay? It's it's not going to go through her mind. The only time she's going to do that maybe is if it's like, I don't know, fucking Ed Sheeran, like some very like commercially relevant artist that's like topping the charts. Now, if she sampled Ed Sheeran or like fucking like Coldplay, some like corny artist like that, Beyonce probably would call them up. But like someone like Khalees wouldn't even be in her orbit to her. Now, Khalees has beef going back with the Neptunes for many, many years. So, the Neptunes produced Khalees' first two albums. Then uh, she worked with other producers later on and kind of fell out with them. And um, Khalees has always said that they made her sign a dodgy record deal when she was, like, really young and that it completely ripped her off and they never paid her royalties and stuff. I think she feels like they didn't credit her for some of her contribution to the songs too. So, her beef with the Neptunes runs deep and goes, you know, way back. But anyway, shout out to Khalees because it was nice seeing her, you know, back in the headlines because she's a, she's a really talented artist. And her life's really interesting now. She runs like an organic farm and grows all of her own food and sells her own soil 
course. She's a sorcier. She went to like Paris and like studied there and stuff. She's she's really cool. And yes, Beyonce's songs are very sampled. A lot of her songs are built around samples. And you know what? They actually kind of suck. Like that Run the World Girls, which is such an annoying song. That was already a sample of like a Diplo beat that had been floating around. Um the fucking uh, what's the what's the recent hit song she had the new dance song that's like the really generic like h&m dance music it samples whatever it's called the robin s show me love song like every artist under the sun has sampled that song and done it better than beyonce okay so whatever but you know who is good at sampling is Nicki minaj Nicki minaj has a new song coming out and she's basically just redoing anaconda so anaconda sampled uh baby got back so big a lot and now she's sampling uh rick james super freak which of course that was uh oh my god who did that not baby got back super freak i can't touch this mc hammer yeah uh she's sampling that for her new song and she's just trying to recreate the success of anaconda but that shit's catchy as hell she knows how to do a good sample i'm sure her next her next single in a few years when she needs a comeback she'll do like salt and pepper push it or something i'm excited for that and Nicki minaj has a new documentary about herself coming out I'm going to watch it because I'm going to give Nikki her flowers this time. And I've really come around on Nicki Minaj recently. And I think that what always turned me off about her is like, she is a horrible person. Okay. And she has like a Nene Leakes victim complex. She always thinks she's like underrated. Okay. Nicki Minaj always thinks everyone's out to get her and that she's so underrated and that like, she doesn't get the respect she deserves. She's literally like the number one female hip hop artist ever. She's not my number one favorite. You know, Lil Kim is my number one favorite, but Nicki Minaj, like on the charts and stuff, she's the number one. Every single song that Nicki Minaj puts out is a hit. Globally, she's definitely more known than many of the male rappers. Okay. Like Nicki Minaj is fucking such a superstar and she always has this chip on her shoulder that like she doesn't get any credit and she's underrated and like it's sexist and she's just and she's like mean she's just not a nice fucking person everything that comes out about her she's kind of horrible but she is really fucking talented as a rapper and as an artist and and what she has done in the industry. And, like, when she came up, when Nicki Minaj blew up, like, people weren't checking for female rappers. Like, the female rapper era had, like, ended. And I'm a big fan of female rappers, so I would always listen to them. And all the girls were flopping. And then Nicki came out and changed the game. So, as distasteful as her personality happens to be, I do respect her as an artist and, like, what she's done. So, I will be watching the new Nicki Minaj documentary series coming out. Uh, I finished Resident Evil on Netflix finally. Oh, just loved it. Just kept getting better and better. That was my favorite. It was so campy, but, like, there was so much fucking, like, blood and guts. And then it had all these, like, melodramatic twists. I was, like, yelling at the TV, like, oh, my God, this is, like, so juicy. Uh, So good. The villain was this, like, hot latina lesbian right and she'll do like goat yoga and she runs this like evil pfizer type pharma company called umbrella if you played the games you know all about that it was so good but you know it was funny after i watched it right i was so like you know buzzed about it and i wanted to see what other people were saying because it's been slammed a lot it's actually had good reviews from the critics but the the audience score for it has been like shocking and i was like i wonder if anyone's like coming around on this and realizing that it's actually like pretty good and uh so many of the reviews were slamming it, calling it woke. They were like, more woke garbage. You know, they've made Resident Evil woke. And I'm like, um, it's not woke at all. It just has a di- diverse cast. That's it. It was a very diverse cast, okay? Like, 
They have two two of the main characters as sisters. One of them's Asian, one of them's black. Their dad's black, and he's based on one of the characters from the video games who's actually white. Like I said, the villain is this, like, lesbian, Latina. Someone's married to an Indian guy. There's, like, one white character who gets killed. Like, basically, there's no white people on the show. It's just racially diverse with the casting, which is clearly not an issue. And it's so, like, this is the thing. Both these people on each side of this shit are both as crazy as each other because the fucking, like, woke, like, oh, my God, Garcelle can't speak because, you know, she'll get labelled an angry black woman. They're fucking insane. And these people that are these weird, like, incels on fucking YouTube that are screaming about Resident Evil being woke because it has a non-white cast, like, nothing in the plot was woke at all. There was no, like, social justice stuff. There was no, like, weird social engineering. There wasn't, like, there wasn't a character that found out they were trans and was then, like, bullied. There was nothing like that. And if anything, the storyline of Resident Evil was actually, like, not politically correct at all because it seemed really critical of Big Pharma and it kind of had some, like... It sort of felt like it was referencing, like, the vaccine and, like, COVID and kind of critical about it and how this pharma company umbrella was trying to make all of this money off it. And it was critical of SSRIs, too, because they were trying to put out this uh, antidepressant drug that, like, changes your brain chemistry. And they wanted to, like, send it out to everyone, even though it was unsafe, so they could make money off of it. And, you know, the overprescription of these antidepressants, that is a topic that, I mean, that's sort of been an issue for a while, but I feel like it's buzzing up a bit again now. I saw a really good segment on breaking points about it. So, it was really actually basically like an anti-woke show, but people were like triggered just because it had a diverse cast. Like, I loved the cast. And I think the main guy, the the one character that they race swapped, uh, Wesker, who was white in the game, so they made him black on the show. I think that actor is from like The Wire or some like really acclaimed thing. And he was a really good actor. He was probably the best actor on there because some of the others were definitely gave some CW level <laughs> acting. Like it was pretty like B grade. The whole thing was pretty B grade, but this one guy that they race swapped was like really good. Like he was actually felt like he was acting in a prestige show. So I was like glad that he was in there. So I don't know why people were like so triggered by it. It's so annoying. Um, the only re- the only time that it's bad when they do the race swaps, let me explain this to you because people complain about this when they change the race and the genders of these characters. It's only an issue when they just take something and they lazily remake it and they don't try to make it different. They don't try to make it good. They don't really change anything. All they do is just go, well, let's just make all the characters not white and, you know, this one's gay or whatever. Yet then it's, like, annoying because it's like, okay, you've just, like, forced it in there and you've, like, not given us anything else. But the reason it works, say, in this Resident Evil is because it's like they took the genesis of the Resident Evil games, they made a new story in the Resident Evil universe set in the future, and they captured the spirit of the games, but they totally brought something new and different and did an original plot with it as well. And all of the characters being diverse, like it completely worked, and it didn't even matter that they changed the race of one of them because it actually kind of made it better. So that's the difference. Um, I was not in the mood for reality TV this week, really, I will say. I missed Southern Charm, even though I'm liking it. I missed The Bachelorette. I may not even keep watching The Bachelorette. I love it, but the episodes go for like over two hours. So as soon as you miss one episode of Bachelor or Bachelorette, you're almost, you're sort of like dead in the water. It's like, how am I going to catch up? Because then when another episode adds up, it's like, wait, I have four hours of this to catch up on now. It's a lot to deal with. But I did start watching 
this like true crime documentary on Netflix called uh, DB Cooper, Where Are You? So people probably know who DB Cooper is. If you don't, uh, basically in the early 70s, this guy hijacked a plane. Uh, he got them to hand over like 200 grand in cash, which I think in today's money is like about a million dollars. And then he parachuted out of the plane in midair and was never, ever seen again. He was never identified. No one knows who he is. No one knows if he died. Did he get away with the money? What happened to him? And then it's like become this whole thing of this like mystery that people have been wanting to crack. And of course they did a Netflix series about it. Uh, It's pretty good. And they get into all these like conspiracy theories about how like DB Cooper may have secretly been working for the CIA and then the CIA uh, colluded with the FBI to cover it up. Like that's probably didn't happen because it's sort of like, why would they like do that? But anyway, they get into stuff like that. So it's like fun to watch. And then there's like people around the case who are obsessed with trying to crack the case and figure out who DB Cooper was. And they waste like years obsessing over. It. And it's kind of like that movie Zodiac with Jake Gyllenhaal. And you know, he like wastes his whole life trying to figure out who the Zodiac killer is and his like family falls apart and stuff. Kind of has that vibe. Of course, it drags on a bit like all of these crime shows. That's, I always tell you this that. All of these shows, it's always my biggest critique, is they just, they're always too many episodes. Like, they always just go too into the weeds at some point just to squeeze out, like, more episodes. It's like, okay, please just give me the juicy bits. I don't need to go to, like, I don't really need to see the a whole episode on the D.B. Cooper, like, fan conventions and stuff. Like, it's, that part's not that interesting to me. Uh that was like the staircase. I was like, oh yeah, I'll, you know, everyone's talking about the staircase. I'll try and watch that. And I watched like one or two episodes and I'm like, mm, you know, this is a bit slow. And look, I'm not someone that has a low attention span. Okay. I can watch fucking like a three hour, like foreign film, just fine. If it's fucking interesting, but I'm watching the staircase. I'm like, yeah, a bit slow. Like how many episodes is this? I checked the episode counts, like 20 episodes. I'm like, you're fucking shitting me. How is this a 20 episode series? I stopped watching. I'm like, you're fucking crazy. If you think you want to watch 20 episodes of the staircase, just give me the fucking cliff notes. I don't need to like know it this deep. Um, and lastly, the one uh, one other thing that I did watch this week was the Neighbours finale. Now, I have a lot of American listeners, so you probably will have no idea what the fuck Neighbours is. But if you are in Australia or from the UK, you will absolutely know about this. It is a soap opera. It's a nightly soap opera. It's Australian. It started in the 80s, so it ran for like 37 years. And it's about people who lived on this in this like uh, fictional sub uh, fictional suburban street called Ramsey Street, and you know just the drama and stuff that they have and it launched the careers of like a lot of big a-listers like kylie minogue came from there uh margot robbie holly valance uh natalie imbruglia who sang torn liam hemsworth like it was a bit of like a star maker okay it's a really iconic soap now i haven't watched it in maybe like over 15 years i haven't watched it since i was a teenager uh the last time I remember watching it was um, I moved out of home and I moved to Sydney when I was like 16. And I remember I tried to keep up with it a bit then. And then I just sort of like fell to the wayside and I really never thought of about it again. And I had no intention of watching the finale. I didn't care. There was like a lot of press around it. I was like, oh, who gives a shit? And then after it aired, the morning after it aired, I was seeing all the media articles about, you know, the emotional farewell. And I got sucked in. And I'm like, fine, let me watch it. I put it on and... I loved it and it was really emotional and I was like actually quite sad watching it. I surprised myself and it 
ended with this wedding, ended with a wedding of one of the main characters, and then they all had this street party on Ramsey Street, and then one of the the main characters, Susan Kennedy, who's been on it since, you know, before I started watching it, I think she joined in the 90s, uh, she was, like, walking around the street and she delivered this sort of, like, it was like an internal monologue um, because she's thinking to herself and it's just about, you know, everything that happened on the street over the years and the people that have come and gone and, you know, those people that we've become best friends with and then others we've, like, lost along the way and, you know, it was done as, like, an allegory for life, okay, and it was really sad and touching and it definitely made me reflect because I was like, wow, like, I remember where I was when I was used to watch this, like, Everyone living in Australia and probably a lot of people in the UK, this show was a big part of your life at some point. Like, at some point, you were watching this probably as a kid or as a teenager, maybe. Who knows? But, like, almost everybody of a certain age, not Gen Z, but, like, millennial and older, definitely watched Neighbours for a period of time. And I definitely thought back to, like, wow, I remember where I was when I watched this. And I used to watch it with my dad and then my, you know, my auntie hated it. And I remember when this character came on and I was looking up some of the characters that were on the show during sort of the, you know, when I was watching it at the peak. And then you see them and they're, like, much older now and they've got, you know, a family and kids. And you just think about, like, life, how fucking quickly life passes you by. And you're like, wow, it's, you know, blink of an eye. Like, it wasn't that long ago I was, you know, 14 or whatever, coming home from school, watching Neighbours, and, you know, now I'm sad loser doing a podcast and getting trolled by, you know, pathetic woke Bravo fans. So, you know, it's quite sad. But, um, yeah, that was it was really nice to watch. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Okay, um, this is the point where I would have um, introduced Kelly Dodd, but clearly that's not happening. So stay tuned for that later this week. Um you know the usual. Follow me on social media at unpopularjp. There isn't. There was a new episode on Patreon from last week with some um, bonus stuff in there. So if you want more from me, sign up to Patreon. I'll do another Patreon episode coming up soon. That's Patreon.com/unpopularjp. Please leave me some nice reviews. I've actually had a few good reviews lately. Um, you've picked it up again, guys. So thank you. Oh my god, I actually got one. I got it in bad review actually. Mostly nice ones, but. Some loser who doesn't even listen to my podcast, they came over specifically to my page because they heard me on Zach Peter's show, No Filter with Zach Peter, and they didn't like what I said on there, so they, like, fucking came over to my podcast to write a one-star review, and it was so stupid. Let me read it out for you. Hang on. Let me just get it up. This dumb bitch. Um. Oh, yeah. Of course they title it. Yikes. Yikes. Okay. This is what they wrote, and I'll explain the context after, because maybe it'll sound bad if I just read it from the review, but I'm going to explain this. They go, it's a big no from me after, quote, what happened to the one drop rule, question mark, to essentially defend Max from being let go from Vanderpump rules for saying the N-word. Excuse me? Also, insulting your listeners multiple times for potentially believing Jen Shah and saying, quote, she just looks like a criminal or something to that effect. Maybe this is his thing, saying rude and racially offensive things to get people riled up, but I'm good on this. Well, first of all, you clearly don't even listen to my fucking podcast, so you've, like, come over here to tell me that, like, you don't want to hear it. You're you're reviewing my podcast for an episode that I did on someone else's podcast, so this isn't even a valid review of my podcast. Now, let me just, like, explain this review. So, they said that I mentioned this one-drop rule thing about 
Max from Vanderpump Rules. Remember he got fired because old tweets from him from like eight years ago resurfaced. Look, that's the first time. I don't know if saying one drop rule is actually considered offensive or not. I'm not sure. I said it off the cuff and the reason where I got it from, like I know it's a thing, right? I don't know if it's like an outdated term that people don't say anymore. It's the first time I've ever said it. And the reason I said it was I got it from one of my co-workers who she was Nigerian and she worked in America for a long time in media, in liberal media, right? She was like a typical liberal. And she used to fucking bring that up all the time, especially when this was around when Prince Harry and Meghan got together. And here's the thing about Prince Harry and Meghan. Again, I don't know if me saying what I'm about to say right now is considered offensive. I don't intend it that way, okay? I'm just going to tell you the truth of what Australians thought. When all that stuff came out about, and I'm only speaking from an Australian perspective, I don't know about British people, I don't know about American people, I'm just telling you the sentiment in Australia. When the Prince Harry and Meghan stuff came out and then the narrative started to be like, oh my God, you know, they don't want, because they don't want her in the kingdom because she's black, you know, they're um, racially, I don't know, they're being racist to her or whatever, like the public are racist, the British media is racist to her, et cetera. To be honest, the reaction from Australians was like, wait, is she black? Like, no one really thought of her. Like, I don't know, we just, we didn't really think of her as that. Like, I guess because she was mixed race and kind of ambiguous, it's like, oh, wait, is she? Like, I don't even, I don't remember ever thinking anything really about her race ever. Like, it was never even came into my mind until I kept seeing headlines in the media of like, they're being racist to Meghan Markle. No one really thought of her as that. And then this co-worker of mine that I said, she's typical liberal, she would be like, even if she doesn't, you know, look, you know, black presenting, um, you know, how she is now, it's the one drop rule, okay? If you have any in you, you are considered black. That's how you're looked at by society, you know, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, okay, like, uh, sure, I believe you. Like, I wasn't I wasn't arguing with her that point about Meghan Markle. I was not invested in Meghan Markle one way or the other. You know, I didn't really care. I will say I'm kind of getting into the Meghan Markle stuff lately just because of like now she's sort of being exposed and it's sort of like she's on her downfall. That's kind of like interesting to me, the whole thing of like what flops they are now and how like everyone's turning against them. But that's a whole other thing. But I was not that invested and I'm like, okay, so that's where I got the one drop thing from. And the conversation that I was having with Zach when I said it, we were doing our usual shtick, which I've done it on here too, where I've just I basically said in a nutshell why is Jen Shah and, you know, criminal XYZ being praised, being kept on Bravo, kept with a job, and then people that, like, you know, a Kelly Dodd or Max from Vanderpump Rules or Stasi, et cetera, they were all fired on the spot. They were all, like, sacked. They lost their jobs. Then we have a confessed criminal that's on there. And I was saying it about Max, and I'm like, look, these tweets, I don't – by the way, I don't, don't condone the tweets, okay? The, the, I've read the tweets. They were gross tweets. You know, I don't think anyone should be saying that word, okay? So it's not like I think, oh – give people a pass to say the word. But I had just said, I'm like, okay, eight-year-old tweets versus a criminal Jen Shah. And secondly, I said, what happened to the one-drop rule? Because isn't he a quarter black anyway? Because he'd come out and he said, you know, my his dad or something was half black, okay? So I'm like, well, does that give him a pass to be able to say it? Because I know that I'm just saying, like, as someone that looks at the media, Cardi B says it in her songs, okay? I like Cardi B. like, But then they go, no, she's allowed to say it. Like, so I'm just like... I don't understand the criteria. I know that if you're black, you're allowed to say it, and anyone that's not black cannot say it, okay? Totally got that. Totally cool with that. But then if he's like a quarter black, I'm like, well, 
is that not black enough to be able to say it? Like that was my confusion. And it just thought of my friend who used to go, Meghan Markle, the one drop rule. So that's where that came from. Okay. I don't condone people saying that word. The other thing in this stupid review is this person saying, um, the quote about me calling my listeners stupid, um, which, yes, my listeners aren't stupid, okay? My listeners knew Jen Shah was a criminal, but, like, other listeners that listen to stupid podcasts, which is, let's be real, 95% of the fucking Bravo audience, okay, they are stupid. And, yes, I did say she looks like a criminal. And this person that left me this stupid review is, like, implying that because she's, like, brown that I think she looks like a criminal. Let's put it this way, okay? Everyone thinks Dorit Kemsley from Beverly Hills is a scammer too, okay? We all go, where does she get the money for these designer things? Did she stage her robbery? Like, you know, is PK dodgy? Like, what are they doing? Where does their wealth come from? It doesn't make sense. And, like, that's what we did with Jen Shah. But it's like, because Jen Shah isn't white, suddenly that's racially motivated. But then with Dorit, it's normal to be able to question everything about, like, What's going on? Like, they both look like fucking con artists. I mean, Jen Shah came onto the scene with, like, a fucking J-Lo-sized entourage with her Shah squad. She's got, like, a 10-person entourage. She's presenting herself as living this jet-setting life in all these designer clothes and stuff. If you had that much money, why the fuck are you living in Utah? Like, it ne- it didn't make sense. Like, even the women on Beverly Hills, which is considered the richest, wealthiest franchise – None of them had an entourage that big. Maybe Erica Jane. I don't think even Erica Jane's entourage was as big as the Shah Squad. And then we realized that the Shah Squad was just like her cousins that she brought in. And anyone with half a fucking brain could say something's not right here with this Jen Shah lady, okay? So, again, so these people are so fucking just, I'm just going to say another bad word. I just can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Um, But you know what? I'm kind of excited for Salt Lake City. I hate myself. Like, I want to watch it now. I really went from being like, I'm boycotting Salt Lake to, I don't know. I just think it's going to be, like, juicy. And I know some of the stuff from, like, Girls Trip, and I'm just, I feel like there's going to be, you know, because Whitney and Heather are on Girls Trip. And I'm just thinking, oh, I think there's going to be a lot to this new Salt Lake City season. It's going to be like a toxic, gross mess because that show is. That show is like, I think it's the most toxic of all the shows because those women are just so deep in that bubble and that Twitter bubble of like with the fan accounts and the meme accounts and like what is the what are the public saying about us and how many followers can I get and how famous can I get from this show and, uh, you know, scheming and playing Survivor. Like they're all like that. Like they're in it so deep. They're like the old school when like OC was at its most toxic, like way back in the day. They have that energy on Salt Lake City. It's just gross, but I kind of want to watch it. Anyway, look, that's enough for this week. So, thanks for listening. Um, This is a shorter episode. Maybe it's not a shorter episode now that I've been ranting on about my reviews. Maybe it's like a normal length episode. But, um, yeah, I guess that's it. Kelly Dodd will be coming later once the audio is is fixed. I'm confident it will be fixed and, and salvaged, so that should be fine. And, uh, yeah, support me on all the platforms. All the links are in the bio. And I will see you all next week. Or later. I'll see you all later this week, hopefully. Okay, bye. I hate her. She's a thief. She's conniving. She's manipulative. And she ain't right. And I'm saying for everybody here, I hate Beyonce. 
She's pretty. Don't get me wrong. All of that. She's very pretty. And talented. But she lies. And she steals. I don't want to know why. She's claiming to be the queen bee. Who gave her that title? Who gave her that name? Because last time I checked, Locale was queen bee. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take her name. What's up with that? Beyonce is a hot mess. Anything else um, I can say about her? What is it? What else I don't like? There's a lot of things I don't like about Beyonce. You cannot outweigh Jennifer Hudson, bitch. And you know you can't. What happened to Mariah Curry? How you just on top of all these people that been in it for years? Girl, bye. And that house of Diana is a hot mess. So there, Beyonce is a hot mess and I said it. Stacked on her name on people's stuff, all them lawsuits. She know what she's doing. And we know what she did. Hmm.